there are two texts that our sermon is based on this morning. And the first is Jesus' words found in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 17. This is from what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And again, the words of Jesus. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Our second scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. And Paul writes, What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels, by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this. His holy word. Amen. The Apostle Paul could not be more clear. The Christian way of life is lived not by the law, but by faith. Yes, God gave the law to Moses and he said to obey these commandments. But 430 years before that, God had come to Abraham and told him to live by faith. He didn't give Abraham rules. He didn't give him laws. He said, trust me. Walk with me by faith. Really, God always wanted people to walk by faith in him. So then the natural question becomes, if God wants people to live by faith, then why the law? And that is exactly the question that Paul asks and that he answers. Why do we need the law? One primary reason for the law is to show sin. 
the law reveals to us where we are wrong. Think about going downtown some night and you're there for a concert and you're driving all through downtown around block after block trying to find a parking space. You finally find a parking space, you pull in, you go in and enjoy the concert for the night and then you come back out and uh, having enjoyed the concert, you find your car and sure enough, there's a big fat parking ticket right there on your windshield. And sure enough, you look, there's the sign. No parking during this time. The law was posted. It was there telling you that you were wrong. One summer, uh, in my college years, I worked in a hospital in Oakland, California, in the housekeeping department. And uh, there was a locker room down in the basement where the housekeeping staff, uh, where we kind of hung out, there was a locker room downstairs where people could change clothes, where you could put your things, have lunch, whatever. Uh, I'd just seen, it was pretty quiet though, I'd just seen a couple women going in and out. And at lunchtime, uh, I found this place and I thought, well, this would be a nice place to do my lunch, be a nice place to read a book, a little quiet. And so that's what I did. Did that for several weeks. And uh, one day, I was in there eating my lunch, and a woman came and said hi. She sat down. She pulled out her lunch, and she was very friendly, asked me about myself. We talked a little bit, visited, and then she said, do you know that this is a woman's locker room? And I wonder how red my face was when she said that. There was no sign telling me that. There were no rules saying that, posted anywhere. I was very grateful that this woman calmly came down and told me the truth, that she set me straight. Once I became aware of the rules, I realized I was doing something wrong. That I, I was in a place I should not be. I found another place to eat lunch and to read. Laws and rules tell us when we're trespassing. Uh, They tell us when to stop, when to go. They tell us not to back up over the spikes. And in this way, the law can be very good. It can be very helpful for us. We would not know that we've done anything wrong or offended God unless he'd given us his laws to point it out. You can't be told you're out of bounds until you know where the boundaries are. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, The law makes us conscious of our sin. Paul also takes up the question of of the goodness and the purpose of the law in Romans chapter 7. I want us to read and hear this carefully. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. 
Paul points out here that the, that the law is not sin, but it exposes and gives life to sin. He continues. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. That sin might be recognized as sin. In short, the law and the commandments put the spotlight on and expose where we're wrong. That leads to our second purpose of the law. That the law drives us to Christ as our Savior. We need, we see our need for our Savior when we come to realize, you know, we can't do all this. The rules are too heavy. The rules are too burdensome. Who can be perfect all the time? Paul reminds the Galatians in an earlier passage of some things that are in the Old Testament. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's from Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is everyone who doesn't do everything that's written in the book of the law. Yikes. Because there may have been one or two times in my life, I can't exactly remember, where maybe I haven't done all the things right. Maybe one, maybe three times. You know, there are two ways that we can offend God. One way is obviously to just break all the rules and just go our own way and forget what God says. But there's a second way. The other is to keep, try to keep the rules. To try to keep them and do them and presume that we're okay with God based on our life. And really think, we're, well, we're doing them all. That's what the Galatians were doing. They were trusting in themselves and their own effort. In one of her novels, uh, the, the novelist Flannery O'Connor, a uh, southern woman, wrote from the South. She writes this about one of her characters. She says, he knew that the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Think about that. The best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Because if you don't sin, you don't need a Savior. And if you don't think you need forgiveness, you don't need the Lord. Jesus made very clear. He said, I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. I didn't come to do away with the law. No, he said he came to fulfill all the laws and all the commands of God, meaning he came to live everyone and live every one of those perfectly. Those 39, those first 39 books of the Bible that we call the Old Testament, that was Jesus' Bible. He read it. He studied it. He heard it. He was raised on it. He preached it. He read it to others. And he lived by it, and he did it perfectly. And he said that unless a person can live as seriously as the Pharisees, who were about as strict as the rules of, with the rules of God as anybody, then that person, he says, you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. But then Jesus goes on to speak about specific commandments. You know, maybe we think we keep the law pretty well. How many people say, well, I, I'm a good person. I, I don't murder people. I I don't commit adultery. I don't uh, steal. Uh, I, I, I mind my own business. I don't hurt anybody. Hmm. But then we hear Jesus say, well, if you've been angry with someone else or called them a fool or some other name, that is to murder them. Or to even look at a woman lustfully is to commit adultery. 
in your heart. Yes, the law says love your neighbor, but Jesus says that also means love your enemies, not just the people we like. And I start hearing that, and all of a sudden, I'm not quite as good as I thought I was. And who does Jesus think he is, anyways, uh, taking on the Torah, the laws of God, reinterpreting them like they're his own, or he's over them, or like they came from him? He's showing that he's the word of God. I think Jesus is intentionally strict. I think he's intentionally severe to, in some of his teaching because he wants to drive us to him as the Savior. He wants us to feel the burden and the demands of God's holiness so that we can come to the freedom of grace. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City. He writes some books, does some speaking. And he writes about moralistic religion, what he calls moralistic religion. Well, what is that? Moralistic religion works like this. If we think we're doing good and we think we're living a good life, uh, we begin to believe that God owes us for how good we're doing. God, I'm doing what you want me to do. You treat me well now, okay? But then when life starts to go badly, we become angry with God because deep down we believe He owes us because we're trying to live up to his standards. Now, if that describes you, you're trying to live by the rules and the laws. You're living in a kind of religious exchange, stock exchange with God, not by faith or grace. I go back to something I said a couple of weeks ago, that the gospel is really good news for bad people trying to cope with our failure to be good. And that Jesus puts us right with God even when we fail to be good. John Stott, the Bible teacher, said, Not until the law has driven us to despair of ourselves will we ever believe in Jesus. Not until the law has humbled us even to hell will we turn to the gospel to raise us to heaven. The law is to drive us to Christ. And that brings us to the third purpose of the law. In verse 24, uh, I know in the New International Version of the Bible, it reads that the law was put in charge of us to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And then it goes on to speak how we're under the supervision of the law. In another Bible, the English Standard Version, it reads that the law was our guardian. In the New Revised Standard Version, it reads the law was our disciplinarian until Christ comes. J.B. Phillips translated it this way. The law was like a strict governess in charge of us until we went to the school of Christ. Different words in different translations. Because Paul is using a term from Greek culture to refer to how the law was a guardian and how it was in charge of us. We get our English word pedagogue, by the way, from this word that he uses, if that's familiar to you. Um, But the word he uses was a description. It was a title for a household servant that was often found in well-to-do families in this ancient culture. He was often an older um, servant who had been with the house a long time. And his job was to take the children of the family, who were between the ages of 6 and 16, and make sure that child got to their teacher every day for their education. The servant, the guardian, was not a teacher. He had no 
responsibilities of education, whose only job was to get the child ready to make sure the child had all his or her utensils and supplies and to get them to the one who would educate them. He was to get them there safely. He was to make sure that the child was where he was supposed to be, in the way he was supposed to be, and when she was supposed to be. And he he was often known as kind of a real taskmaster. It was a major, it was a well-known role in that part of the world at that time. But then when the child came of age, the servant was no longer needed. The law was like that for us. It was like our gardener. It was like this servant until the time of Christ. It was in charge of us. The purpose of the law was always to bring a person to Christ, the one who fulfilled the law, by showing that a person by him or herself were utterly, absolutely unable to keep it. The law was only to bring us to our true destination, which is a relationship of faith and grace and love with Jesus Christ. The law can't forgive sins. It can't give life. It was merely a way to get us to where we could really get life. Verse 19, there's a little word there. It's called added, how the law added transgression. It literally means to come by a side road. The law is a side road leading us on to the highway of Christ. It's an on-ramp to the true way of Jesus Christ. When we live by faith in Christ, when we trust His life for our relationship with the Father, we no longer need a guardian. We no longer relate to God based on rules or regulations. We are now under his direct parental relationship. If you read the very next verse after what we read in Galatians this morning and you go to verse 26, it says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. We don't need the guardian anymore. We are sons and daughters of God. We have exchanged a relationship based on law for one that is based on faith. And are directly in relationship with our Heavenly Father. As for the law, it's still present. It's helpful to know what the boundaries are. It's helpful that someone tells us which way to go in the car wash. So we don't go in the wrong way and mess up the car wash and mess up our car, right? It's good to know. We still need to go know how God wants life to be lived. And know we're never going to perfectly do everything right. And that is why Christ came to fulfill all that for us. Listen to these golden words from Romans chapter 7. Some of you probably heard these. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, it's a different law now, a different law. The law of the spirit of life set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who live, not according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Three things here. First of all, that Christ has set us free from the effects of the law. And the effects of the law are guilt and condemnation. The law only puts us in a guilty relationship with God. It is like a big finger pointing at us all day long. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. 
you didn't do it. Christ sets us free from that. However, to be free from the effects of the law doesn't mean we're free from the obligations of the law. It is still really a good idea not to murder. It's still really a good idea not to commit adultery or steal or covet, just to name a few. It's just that we don't live in fear of the law anymore. Much like when uh, we much like we don't live in fear of the police. If you're in a store and one of Salt Lake's finest walks in, uh, you you're not scared. At least I hope you're not scared. And uh, um, we don't even live to please them. But, you know, following the rules certainly makes life easier for us, doesn't it? Second thing here, Christ defeated the penalty of not keeping the law, which is sin. He did that. He did what we could not do so that the righteous, you see where it says the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. It is as if we had fulfilled all the requirements of the law. It's like taking a math exam. And let me use math because I was never any good at math. It's like taking a math exam and you know you flubbed it. I can identify with that. You know you flubbed it. You probably didn't even get 50%. And you turn it in and you walk out with your head hanging and and you get your test back. And it says 100% with glowing comments. Why? Because you're told someone else took your exam for you and fulfilled every one of those problems on there and did them perfectly. That is the position we are put in when we live by faith in the Son of God. It is as if we had fulfilled all the law ourselves. Augustine said the law is given that grace might be sought. And that grace is given that the law might be fulfilled. This happens by simply living by the Spirit. And that's the third thing I would point out here. Simply living by the Spirit. The law, what Paul calls the law of the Spirit. In Ezekiel, back in the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In Jeremiah, the Lord says something similar in a promise. He says, the day's coming. I'm going to make a new covenant with people. It's not going to be like the old covenant that they broke. In this covenant, I will put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their heart. That's what the spirit of God does. He gives birth to us as Christians and then he helps us grow as Christians by putting inside of us this natural inclination, this desire. I don't know, maybe it's a chip. To do what God wants us to do and to be his people. And Paul reminds the Galatians, you receive that promised spirit when you live by faith. When we stoke that fire within us, we find ourselves just naturally doing the things. That please God. It comes from our hearts. And you know whatever's in our hearts. That's what we do naturally. And God calls this the new covenant. Which leads us to this table. The new covenant. This is where we celebrate. This is where we remember. This is where we recommit ourselves. To that new covenant. That comes through faith in Jesus Christ. 
we recommit ourselves to living by faith, by God's Spirit who lives in us. By God's Spirit who lives in us. The broken bread represents Christ's broken body for us. And Christ comes to us and helps us in all 